this and not Seattle. I, I don't really know what happened, like, but we kind of, okay, that was funnier the first service. Like, you guys aren't with that one on there at all. But anyway, so we're hoping, we're praying for clearing for people getting baptized and all that kind of stuff on, on, uh, on Tuesday, but uh, it's great. Great to be with you, and we've been in a conversation with, with the Gospel of John that we, we hope to finish before Jesus returns. We're kind of on a slow kind of trajectory, but we're enjoying our time together, and we're working our way through the Gospel of John, and, and, and the Gospel of John is, uh, it's, it's written in such a way that John uses, as we've talked about a little bit, simple language to communicate really deep truths, and so he's fond of words um, that in one sense have kind of a face or, or a level or, or a, a face value, I guess we might call them, and yet they also kind of go miles deep. Let, let me give you a couple, for example, in, in the introduction, in John's introduction called the prologue, for example, he says about Jesus, he said, in him, that is in Jesus, was life, L-I-F-E, in this life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overpower it or compre- comprehend it. Well, okay, those are, those are simple words, right? Right? Light and light. They're one-syllable words. We understand them. We get them. There's a face value to them. And at the very same time, they are miles deep. And this is a favorite tactic of John to be able to say there's a face value, straightforward, I get it, I understand it level, and there's a miles deep aspect of this as well. And so John does that all throughout his, throughout his gospel, and, and I'll just want one more kind of introductory comment. One of the things I think that I find as a person who came to faith in Jesus a little bit down, down the road, late in my teenage years, is I didn't grow up, I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up with a whole lot of understanding about how, kind of how the Bible works. So here, here's where I go with that. So when I got introduced to Jesus, I thought the whole thing started with Jesus. And it kind of, and, and, and part of my spiritual journey is to realize that Jesus is the answer or the fulfillment to what God has been doing since the first chapter of the book uh, of the Bible. The first chapters of the Bible, Jesus is the answer, he is the promise, he is the delivered one, delivering one, he is the Messiah who is going to come and to rule and to reign. And so this whole thing goes all the way back, if you will, and Jesus is the answer or the fulfillment to all that God has promised in the Old, in the Old Testament, and that is where he's going. And so Again, in John's gospel, he's going to pick up these rich fulfillments of the way that Jesus fulfills what God has been doing and wanted to do all throughout human history, and then he's going to explode them in and through Jesus. Overwhelm them is a word that we're going to use today. So we're doing all of that, but that's kind of a fun thing, and part of the reason for all of that madness, that's all for free, by the way, you guys. We'll get into the text here in a second. It's because I want us, week after week, to be wetting our appetites for hungering and thirsting for God's Word. Like, okay, that, that's in here. I need to find a bunch of that stuff. I need to open that thing. And, and, and I, oh, I see that, and I, oh, I see those layers, absolutely, and all that kind of stuff, so that we wet our appetites, and we see and we find our satisfaction as we worship Jesus for who he is in this, in this great book, okay? So in John's, in John's gospel, we're in chapter 6, we're beginning in chapter, chapter 6, and, and, and the, the, and one level, we're going to be looking at this in this surface level, okay? Not surface level, because that sounds 
trivial. I'm not trying to trivialize it. But we're looking at something that's kind of, kind of remarkable, and the way that it presents is so, is so much, we think, wow, that, that's enough. Because here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to take a, little, a poor little boy's lunch, and he's going to feed 5,000 family units with it. That's all he has. And so on one level, you look at that and you think, oh my gosh. Like, right? Oh, oh my gosh. Can you imagine if you were a person in that and you knew that the only resources you had was a poor little boy's lunch and everybody got filled? That is an amazing thing. But then in typical Jesus fashion, that becomes the deeper layer or the window and the portal into something much, much, much deeper that Jesus is doing even though he's still doing the miracle. And it's going to go something like this, that Jesus is going to begin to give us a picture of how he satisfies our deepest hunger. Okay? So the miracle, he's going to satisfy hunger. But the deeper thing that Jesus is causing us to peer into and to look into is that Jesus is the satisfaction, in fact, the overwhelming of our deepest hungers. So, John, John chapter 6, we're going to be walked through four sections here. We're just going to walk through the passage. The language that I've chosen to kind of give a framework for it is, I don't know, it's kind of boring, to be honest with you, but it's like, all right, that's, what, that's kind of what I had this, this week, all right? So here we go. Four sections, we're going to walk them through, then we're going to come back to them and personalize them a little bit, okay? So Jesus is feeding in the 5,000, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 5a, just the first section of chapter, verse 5. Jesus sees the real need. Here we go, John chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far, far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, pause. Okay, I know that the sentence doesn't end there. We're going to pause there for a second. Jesus sees the real, real need, right? Little, little geography, we are, uh, we are uh, north of Jerusalem in Judea, in Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, which is actually below sea level. It's kind of a fun fact with the Sea of Galilee. And they are there. Jesus is doing ministry in and around there. That is where actually he had, he had grown up. And so they're doing ministry there, and people are responding all over the place to these am amazing things that he's doing all as he's healing people and teaching people people. So Mark, we're going to cheat a little bit here, Mark's gospel tells us that these people saw that Jesus had moved around, and so they literally ran to the other side of, of the, the Sea of Galilee. And so running to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, we have 5,000, a multitude, which gets named later, 5,000 family units and they get there, and Jesus sees them, and Mark tells us that Jesus sees them, and he feels compassion for them on two levels. The first is that they're going to be hungry. They're, they're going to be hungry physically. But the second is because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And one of the smart people on my bookshelf, Mickey Clink, in his commentary says, and other people did as well, that when Jesus, when Mark uses that picture of sheep without a shepherd, 
we in the West tend to think, okay, they're a pastor, or they're a congregation without a pastor. Hey, they need some spiritual guidance. Some spiritual, no. They're an army without a general would be the way that the original audience would have understood that. That sheep without a shepherd is that God is the shepherd of his people and that they are mobilized and they are ready. And that's going to come back actually in the back end of the passage. So Jesus sees all that and he sees the real need and he's going to do something about it. We already know where he's going to go because we've already tipped our hand. He's going to feed 5,000 family units, right, with the little boy's lunch. But here's why I want to pause here for a second. I think sometimes we can look at something like that where Jesus sees the real need. And I'll be honest, sometimes for me in my own journey, perhaps even this morning for some of you, I can lose you already. Because you're not sure about that. (laughs) I mean, it's not an intellectual thing, right? It never is for us. We don't think intellectually Jesus can't see me. Okay, that sounds odd to even say that out loud. That's not where the problem is or where the challenge is or where the tension is or where the friction is. It's, wow, does he really see what's going on with me? Because, wow, (laughs) he doesn't seem to be doing much about it. I mentioned a few weeks ago, several weeks ago actually, that in the Psalms, that the songbook of the nation of Israel and the songbook of Jesus, there are 150 Psalms, as you perhaps well know, they're songs, right? And you would sing them, and you would chant them, and you would say them. You still do in, in, in Israel today, actually. When you get on, a, get on a bus in Israel, you will say a song, a song. And the largest category in the Psalms, in that 150, are lament psalms. They're the psalms that cry out to God, God, what's happening? What are you doing? And the largest category of lament psalms are personal lament psalms. In other words, they're that individual cry that says, God, where are you? And of course, this is exactly what Jesus said on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, God gives us language in his own songbook to give language to say, God, it doesn't seem like you see me. And yet he does. And so we don't want to lose each other right out of the gate, that Jesus sees the real need, that he is ever mindful, ever watchful, ever seeing what it is that actually really is going on. And so I don't want to lose us here. Because all of us have probably some places where we just wonder that in that way where it's not intellectual, it's way, it's just way down deeper than that. And in that, does Jesus see, and the answer being yes, we're going to see that Jesus sees the real need already on a couple of different levels. They're hungry and they're sheep without a shepherd or an army without a, gen- a general. They are leaderless, okay, is what is what Jesus sees. And so he's going to move into this, but he's going to move into it as the passage moves on in a really interesting kind of way. Because instead of saying, well, I can do something about that, I'm going to do something about that. He is going to do something about that, but he's also going to enlist his folks, his people, his disciples, his apprentices with him into the journey. And that's the next little section here, that Jesus tests his followers in order to train them. 
So Jesus sees the real need, and then in the next section, he tests his followers in order to train them, in order to bring them into what it is that he wants to do. It's kind of a little bit of an interesting, to me, wrinkle in how it is that John tells this story. Because here's the way it goes in, in the next little section here of, of John, chapter, John chapter 6. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, other places we've seen that Philip is kind of a neighbor with these people that are coming and following Jesus in the north part of Galilee. He is from a a town called Bethsaida, and so that's, or Bethsaida, and so he's kind of people with with them. So so Philip hears this. Jesus asks him, Philip, what are we going to do about this? Look at all these people, right? 5,000 family units. And so Philip says, okay, gosh, Jesus just gave me a math problem, man. I hate math. It's a word problem, too. I hate word problems. Okay, if a train is going this way, and another train is going this way, and a plane lands on them, which, okay, some of you, a few of you with me, kind of, right in, okay. So Philip Philip sees it, he's like, okay, 200 days wages, like that's not even going to scratch the itch. Days wage largely the people of Jesus' day that he was ministering to were subsistence people. What they made that day went to that day, okay? And so to subsistence people, he's saying, what you make for this day isn't gonna cut it for all these, these people. Now, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he comes to the rescue. Philip, I see that you're floundering. You're, you're not gonna get this one right, I promise you. And so he said to him, hey, here's an alternative. There's a boy here with a poor boy's lunch. Five barley loaves, the, the, the barley loaf thing that, that uh, John uses here is like that's what poor people ate, okay? It was the least quality bread that you could eat. And so the five barley loaves and two fish, what are they for so many? which is kind of like, he sidesteps it kind of thing, but he says that's the supply. So, so for Philip, it's, kind of, it's a math problem. For Andrew, it's an economics problem, right? This is a supply and demand thing. We have logistics. We have a supply chain issue here. And so we're not really sure we can get it, and McDonald's is closed. So that's kind of the way that they do this. And so Jesus said right here, have the people sit down. And he, there, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And again, it's 5,000 men. That was on purpose. It was a way to communicate or to, to calculate, really, that there are 5,000 family units. Some of them probably were alone. Some of them were probably with their families. Scholars think that 10 to 20,000 is a fair estimate of how many people were actually there. So picture that in your head, Right? 10 to 20,000 people, all hungry, all have come to find, find Jesus and to seek him, if you will. And so Jesus sees their real need. They're hungry, and he sees their deeper need, and so he's going to meet this need. But in order to do that, he tests his guy, Philip, in order to train him and all the other ex- disciples by extension to bring them into the mix, to bring them into the conversation, and to enlist them in what it is that he's doing on planet Earth. Now, I, I don't know how that strikes you, but sometimes, if I'm honest, when I think about being tested, I think, is there another way, Jesus, to train people, I mean? Really. 
Like, can't we just go out for tacos or something? Can't we just kind of hang out? I mean, my life has some stuff in it, and I feel like I'm kind of engaged in a battle pretty much everywhere. And so it would be great if we could just... But Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm going to push you. I'm going to ha- give you a math problem that you think is a math problem, but it's not a math problem. I'm going to give you a word problem that you think is a supply and demand economics problem, but it's not a supply and demand and economics problem. I want you to see and to feel the weight both of the magnitude of the need so that you realize that this is impossible when it gets met. Because what you have to learn is what is my gut instinct when I come up with something that is completely beyond me? Philip, Andrew, Simon Peter, etc. Because when I come up with something completely beyond me, I tend to think, well, it's a math problem and there's no possible way. Or it's a supply and demand problem and there's another still no possible way. But either way, there's no possible way. Because I'm looking at it at a certain level and on a certain plane. And so Jesus pushes, right, so that they get to raise their eyes. He sees the real need and he's helping lift their eyes to someone who could actually do something about a real problem. He's going to overwhelm that in a second here. Sometimes that testing in order to get trained is just purposefully uncomfortable. And we have to do the math of the fact that Jesus, God Almighty, God in the flesh, is willing to make us uncomfortable to take us somewhere that we can't get by ourselves because we're thinking about things as a word problem or a supply and demand problem. So last September, I had a knee replacement, full full replacement. Some of you are kind of with me, and you're thinking, they only give knee replacement to old people. Okay, fine, right? So that's true. I got to watch it, by the way, on, like while they were doing it. It was a very, very cool thing or whatever. So the doctor said, hey, you're going to watch, right? I said, what? He said, yeah, you can watch. It'll be up on a screen. I'll talk you the whole way through it. There'll be a screen in between us, but I'll like walk you through it or whatever. So all the saws, all the hammers, all the drills, it was epic in there too. I did not throw up, Tom, by the way. I didn't. My wife was concerned about that. So anyway, in knee surgery, knee replacement surgery that I'm watching, then you go to PT, right? You go to PT for a long time with knee replacement, other things too. So I go to PT and in one of my, physical, actually, did you know that physical PT stands for physical torturers? Did you know that? Some of you are that person or whatever. I just want to say you're a torturer. So I go to physical torturing, okay, three times a week, and at physical torturing, Whitney, all 95 pounds on her, of her, is standing on a little block, and she's on my knee, shoving it down. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah. You know, this is the way we have to do it because you have to get to zero or beyond or whatever. It's just, so the lead guy, Derek, right? I know these people's names because I cursed them in my, no, that's not really true. So Derek said, yeah. Now Derek is 
three and a half times Whitney. I'm not kidding. He's a big boy, right? Played college football. So Derek says, yeah, so here's the deal. With knee replacement, your pain is irrelevant. I said, what? <laughs> what? He said, no, you're, I'm serious. Every other thing, pain is an indicator. Like, oh, you know, okay, well, we don't want to push too far. No, no, not with knee replacement. Yeah, because your knee is fine. It is completely fine. But we have to get it to places where the only way to do it is to have 95 pounds of Whitney leaning on your knee. I hate that that's really true. I have to have my other one replaced too. I'm not really excited about that opportunity because I know what's coming, right? There's only one way to get there. There's only one way to work it back through the scar tissue, to get it to that place where it hasn't been that it needs to go so that you have a fully functioning knee. Jesus said, your soul is so much more than your knee. And so it is not that your pain is irrelevant to me. It's that you have to go through this to get somewhere that you cannot get, but I want you to get. Okay? And so Jesus employs this testing in order to train, in order to push, in order to get them to these new kinds of places. And it is uncomfortable, and it happens. And he does it to his disciples all the time in there for the purpose, right, of lovingly getting them to those places, just like Whitney and Derek did for me and a whole bunch of other people as well. So Jesus walks us through, he sees the real, he sees the real need, he, he invites his people in and he trains them, right? He tests them in order to train them so that they can participate in what it is that he's doing. And then what he does then in this is he overwhelms the need, the real need. He comes and he not only begins to meet it, but he just absolutely obliterates it and crushes it. This is what we see in verses 11 through, through 13. That, that Jesus says this, Jesus took the loaves when he'd given thanks. He distributed them to, the, to those who were seated. Okay, So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they'd had their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up all up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Everybody eats. Everybody is in a food coma. Jesus dispenses his disciples to go gather up the rest of the stuff. And they come back and comically with these huge baskets full of the leftovers so that anybody else who, gets, who needs second breakfast here while Jesus is teaching is going to get that. Okay, some of you Lord of the Rings people, you're with me on that one. Thank you very much. Yes, so that's what happened. Jesus completely overwhelms the need. And over and over again, that's what he does throughout the Gospels in his life. There's this need, this real presenting need, and Jesus sees the real need, and the real need is infinitely more than hunger. It's the hunger of our souls, their souls. And so he comes and he peers into that need, which we can hardly fathom, and he says, you're hungry, but you're not even completely sure what you're hungry for. Now, let's give our friends here props. They've run across the Sea of Galilee in order to find Jesus. There's a hunger and a thirst there that is more than the fact that now they're physically hungry. But Jesus says that hunger 
that you are feeling and sensing and longing to be satisfied, I will completely overwhelm. And that picture that he creates of completely overwhelming the physical hunger is what he's going to begin to move into in the balance of chapter 6. He's going to say in the balance of chapter 6, I'm the bread of life. And so the deepest hungers that you have will be satisfied in and through me. He completely overwhelms the real need. See, one of the things I think that happens for me in my own kind of neediness, I guess I would, I would call it, is that the presenting stuff to me gets so in my face that I can't see. Do you ever feel like that? It's like, how are you doing? Well, I, I just, man, this is going on, and I can, I, I don't know, I can hard, hardly see. And I know that there's deeper needs, or there's more, or there's stuff beyond the need that is in my face, but I can't see it. I, I can't see it. I, I, can't, I can't get around it. I can't, I can't see it. And Jesus sees us in that kind of neediness where the thing that is in front of us is so overwhelming that it blocks our view. And he said, I will move into that and I will overwhelm it and I, and I will meet your needs in ways that you can hardly even imagine and fathom in and through the good news that I'm going to bring. What he's gonna tell us in John chapter six in the balance of this, this chapter here as well is that we are going to partake of him, of the life that he is in his flesh and his blood. Now there's a wrinkle to this section here as well that John uniquely brings in, in verses 14 and 15. Because the people respond to this. They do the math, they begin to realize this was not a math problem, this was not an economics problem, this is unbelievable, 5,000 family units, everybody's in a food coma, oh my goodness sakes, what has just happened here? And so they begin to do the math and here's here's their response, okay? Jesus resists the people's effort to control him. This seems to be a consistent human tendency across cultures that, that people say, Jesus has power, he needs to do something in the ways that I think he should do something. Here's what we see in verses 14 and 15. This is the way that it reads here. When the people saw the, saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, that's an allusion in John's way to in, in John's way to Deuteronomy chapter 18, where there was a prophet that was promised who would be like Moses. Well, what did Moses do? He was the person God used to deliver the excuse me the Israelites from the bondage of the Egyptians. So, can you follow the math here? It's like whoa! So that long ago prophet has come. Oh, wait a second, what did he do? He delivered people from oppression. What are we under? Oppression. What do we need? That guy, right? So let's go with that guy right here. By the way, that bread and fish is really good too. But anyway, so, so perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. People are sure 
that Jesus has power to act in a way that they think God should be acting. So they're going to force the issue. They're going to try to control God Almighty. I mean, from a distance, can't you see the irony of that? Like, wait a second. So, so you want to be king, the one who just fed the 5,000 family units and, 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 or whatever, and this person who's done signs and wonders because he's powerful and you think he's the prophet, the delivering one. And so because you're so incredibly powerful and so incredibly insightful, but you seem to be missing it kind of over here that we really need a deliverer. We're just going to force the issue here because you're a little slow on the uptake of this one, okay? Yeah. Get with the program, Jesus. Get with our program. Get with our program, Jesus. Jesus, why aren't you with our program? Why aren't you with my program here? <laughs> what are you doing? I know you feed. I know you hunger, deep hunger. I know that you satisfy in one level, but you satisfy infinitely. You overwhelm the deepest hunger. But why aren't you with my program? Come on. Why are you slow? <laughs> what, what do you, what's the delay? Do you see what's happened? Do you see the real need? Do you see? And Jesus resists their efforts to control him. Because he's the king. <laughs> he's the king. He's all wise. He's all powerful. And he is always on track and on time. And he has a way that he is working in human history that belongs to him. <laughs> and he does not adjust to our program. We adjust to his. And so in this wrinkle of the story, we see King Jesus in this remarkable kind of way where he has all these different things, where he's training and building and pouring into the lives of his people to cause them to stretch and to join him in what it is that he is doing. And he himself, in himself, will completely overwhelm and obliterate needs that we could hardly even imagine or even see the depths of. And he will do it because he is always on track and all time and all wise and all knowing. So as we kind of go back through, I just want to take a couple of minutes here as we cl close this down here and we worship the Lord together again in song. And I just want to go back through those four principles and really just personalize them, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll have them up, up here and we'll see this. And I'm going to invite the band to come up. They're going to be coming up here and, we'll, and leading us in worship. We'll just walk this through together. I want to invite you just to kind of bow with me. I'm just going to, we're just going to walk this through. So Jesus, we want to say to you that you see the real need. You see our real need. All of its depth, all of its complexity, all, all of all that comes. And we might pluralize that. We, we might say needs. There are lots. But you see. And you see with compassion. 
You don't see with, hey, get yourself together, hey, fix it. You see it with that ability to, to love and to care than to move into. And you grant to us the dignity of being trained up by you to be a part of what you want to do on planet earth. For your followers as being people who become like you. Jesus, it seems too good to be true that you would invite us into that kind of a journey. But you invite us to become like you as your apprentices. And so as you see our real need and you, you see the, 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 the spiritual hunger, the depth of our poverty, you meet it and overwhelm it. You crush it. You overflow it. So that real human beings can become like you and be a part of what it is that you're doing on planet Earth. So Jesus, we want to say thank you for seeing our real need. For training us to be your people. For overwhelming our needs. And for being the true and the rightful king who can never be controlled. <laughs> we thank you for being the bread of life, our bread of life. And we worship you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. I can invite you to stand and let's worship together.